We're ready to go. Ready to uh, see what God has this morning. If you will, turn to Revelation chapter 3. We'll get right into the sixth church. Out of the seven churches, we're almost done with the seven churches. As we go through the book of Revelation. As you know, um, if you've been with us, going through the book of Revelation, I, I titled our time in the book of Revelation, um, Christ Revealed, because that's what the book of Revelation is all about, Jesus Christ being revealed. And we've seen it through every church. He has revealed himself in a powerful way. And I know he's been speaking to a lot of us in so many different ways because he's been revealing himself to the seven churches, and we again, we'll see it again. I mean, the, the, the literal title of the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to remember as we go through the book of Revelation. We need to remember that it is all about Jesus. It is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the central figure of the book. He is the main point of it from start to finish throughout the book. And, 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 and we have seen that throughout our time as we've been in the seven churches and even in chapter one. What an amazing revelation that he gave to us in chapter one. This book is Jesus' revelation in the sense that it belongs to him. He is the one doing the revealing. He is the object revealed. And it is all about him. There is more about Jesus in the book of Revelation than in any other book in the New Testament. And if we get caught up in anything else in this book other than Jesus, then we've missed Jesus. We have missed the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we get caught up on, on the sensationalism sensationalism of this book you know about what's happening in the future i mean we all want to know it's, it's it's amazing it's all written down but jesus is the main central figure even when he's dishing out the judgments everything everything has to be about jesus because if we get caught up in anything else we've missed it totally missed it and throughout these two chapters that we have gone through jesus has revealed himself and will continue to reveal himself. As he did to the literal churches of the time, he revealed himself. He revealed himself to the church throughout church history. He has always revealed himself to the churches throughout church history. He has revealed himself to the church today. And he has definitely revealed himself to us as individuals who make up the church. And guys, it is all revealed in his holy book. The revelation of Jesus Christ is here from start to finish, from beginning to end. The book of Revelation is like the cherry on top. It just is it, it, phenomenal. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the church, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, 
He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie... Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from that hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Mm. Lord Jesus, please help our ears to be open this morning. Lord, as you've been revealing yourself throughout this time in the book of Revelation, Lord, once again, Lord God, you have given us your word. We have read it. People have heard it. And Lord, we want the blessing that comes along with that, Lord. Lord, that we might do what your word says. That we would keep your word and not deny your name. And so Jesus, right now, this morning, open hearts. Open hearts right now, Lord God. Open my heart. Teach my heart even as I teach. Help me to teach with clarity and understanding. It's already been an emotional morning for me, Lord, and I just want to be able to do you justice, Lord, even as we read your word. So, Jesus, you are holy, you are righteous, you are good, and your word is true, and we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen, amen. Starting in verse 7, once again, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? Now, last week, if you were here with us, I, I shared with you that the messenger that was sent or over the church of Sardis probably had the toughest message of all the other messages that the, these messengers were given to give because it was a really, really tough and harsh and hard-hitting message to the church of Sardis because there was no commendation there. There was nothing good that they saw. And, and if that is the case, that he had the toughest message to give, this messenger here that is sent or over the church of Philadelphia has the best message. This is the kind of message that I like to give, too. You know, those hard-hitting ones, the, the bad thing is that it hits me before it hits you. And so if it doesn't have to hit me, it's like, that's cool, Lord, that's cool. We, we, you know, I don't have to hit my people with what you've hit me with. <laughs> Man, this must be the best message of all of them. Even over the, the message to Smyrna, 
Even though both of them didn't have any condemnation from Jesus, the church of Smyrna was suffering through persecution. And that's not to say that the church of Philly here was not um, going through anything. They, they were. But not one negative thing is said to them or about them. And so we'll come back to that, to the church of Philadelphia. But again, just, just knowing that even the church of Smyrna, man, he, he, he was instructing them in certain issues, not bad, but just kind of instructing them. And not that he doesn't instruct them here, but not one negative thing is really said about the church of Philly here. Now, a little history on the, the city of Philadelphia, not the one on the East Coast, the one that happened a few thousand years ago. This was about 20, 28 miles, 28, 30 miles southeast of Sardis. So again, as you're going, we're going more and more inland. And so this, this city was situated in a strategic place. On, it, it was on the main route of the imperial post of Rome and to the east. And, and it was known or it was called the city of Philadelphia. It was called the gateway to the east. Because there was just this wide open road for them to go and, 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 and just go in that direction if they wanted to. And so it was wide open and it was a major route. But it was also called, this, this city of Philadelphia, it was also called Little Athens. If you're familiar with Athens in the book of Acts, um, it, it, it just had every kind of God under the sun that they worshipped. They even had the, 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 the pillar for the unknown God in case they missed the God. You know, it's like cover them all. And so this was considered little Athens because of the many temples and, and the, a lot of the idolatrous worship that was going on in this city. It was a city with a lot of Greek culture as well. Um, and they, they wanted to spread this Greek culture to the east. And they succeeded in that, you know, even the New Testament is written in, in Greek because it became the primary language in all of that region. And so they were really successful because they wanted to spread the Greek culture. And so in, in a sense, they were on mission. They had a mission. They were missionaries for the Greek culture, basically. And so they were going to go out and there was an open gate for them to go out and spread the Greek culture and like I said, they succeeded in the east, eastern re region. They, they were known for their wool and other textile type stuff, but they were also known for their agriculture. Uh, and being on the main route as they were, they were pretty busy. It, 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 was, it, it wasn't a huge, huge city. It wasn't a great, great city in that sense, but, but it was pretty busy. And it happened to be the youngest of all the cities that is... Meant, that are mentioned here in the book of Revelation. It was founded in, in about um, 190 or 150 B.C., somewhere right around there, by King Atullus, Philadelphus uh, of Pergamos, or Pergamus. The name Philadelphus uh, means lover of a brother. And it was actually a nickname for this king because he had a great affection and admiration uh, for his brother, Amuminus. Uh, um, and so the city was named 
Philadelphia in honor of King uh, Atullus. Now, the word, the, the beginning of Philadelphia is the word phileo in the Greek is the word brotherly love. That's where we get our word brotherly love. When you're reading through scripture and he's talking about brotherly love, it is the word phileo. Even our city in the East Coast, Philadelphia is known as the, the city of brotherly love. But this city had its faults. No, really, it had like its faults in, in that it had earthquake faults. <laughs> had to go there. Yeah, they had bumper stickers made for their chariots that said Philadelphia has its faults. Okay, maybe not. But it was situated, it was located on this major fault line that ran through the city. And it was subject to frequent earthquakes. And in 17 AD, they suffered a major one. It was the big one for them. And, and, and that, that initial earthquake was not really what, what did them in and destroyed them. It, it was the aftershocks that followed consistently that began to just knock down this, this city. And, and it got rebuilt right, right after, not long after, with the help of Emperor uh, Tiberius Caesar. And so for a little time, the city of Philadelphia had been renamed to Nero Caesarea, or New Caesar. Today, it is, it is known as Alashahir. And so you can still go there. And again, I've been telling you guys, Google these names and look at the ruins. They are amazing. Some of the pillars that are, that are still standing in this place, the, the old city of, of Philadelphia, there was these two major ones. They, they, there were probably more buildings, but they look like these massive pillars, which is interesting because Jesus talks about pillars at the end of this book or at the end of this letter. But be that as it may... Um, I do think that if you are familiar with the seven churches in the book of Revelation, I think all the churches throughout history probably who have read about the seven churches, all of us want to identify ourselves with the church of Philadelphia. Only because Jesus had nothing bad to say with, about them. Because it's so interesting because we, we think that, you know, I, I'm sure we do. I, I do. I think we have the perfect church. I know it's not perfect. But... We're pretty doggone close. Practically perfect in any way, like Mary Poppins. Okay, maybe not even practically close. But, but I just, you know, it's almost like we want to be that church, you know. We want to be Philadelphia. Because we want to know, be known for our love. And for the most part, we are in a lot of ways. But I think that in reality, if we, like, say, oh, yeah, man, we, we're, like the book, uh, we're like the church of Philadelphia. Not like Sardis. Jesus had nothing good. I know there's a lot of good because I'm there. You know, we kind of have that, you know, a little, little pride type stuff going. It's like, yeah, Calvary Chapel rocks. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure everybody thinks the same thing, not just us. But <laughs> as much as we wanted to want to identify ourselves as the church of Philadelphia, we really have to identify ourselves with each of these churches. We really do, because we have to check ourselves. Because even though there was seven 
distinct churches, literal churches, and they were all, again, they were all going through different things in their life. They were all existing at the same time, and yet we look at them, we're going, how can it be so different? And yet throughout history, we have seen the different churches throughout church history, and, and just the way they're building up. And even today, we see churches that, that are going through this, churches that are going through that, churches that are doing okay, churches that blah, 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 and this and that. And as individuals, we truly, if we're really honest with ourselves, we go through every part of these seven churches in our life, in our Christian walk. We go through every aspect of these seven churches. And if you've missed some of the studies, go back and listen to them. And then again, put yourself in, 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 in what Jesus is saying to each of the churches. Because as much as we want to be Philadelphia, there's times that we're like Sardis. And there's nothing good coming out of our lives right now, you know? There are times that we're just being persecuted and we're feeling the weight, like Smyrna. You know, there's times that we feel like, 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 like Ephesus, you know, that we've left our first love. You know, and just a lot of aspects, man. We, we, we fit into every... So let's be honest with ourselves, even though we want to all be like Philadelphia. Let's be honest with ourselves and check ourselves throughout all these seven churches. Now, it is interesting that Jesus doesn't describe himself as he did to all the other churches. In that, with all the other churches, he took something from, from chapter 1, the vision that, that we get from John and some of the things that he said in verse 1 or chapter 1, he doesn't do that in this one. Not with, not with Philadelphia. He doesn't take any of the descriptions from chapter 1 that we are getting familiar with, and he doesn't use any of that with this chapter or with this church. And so he tells us who he is in verse 1 or verse 7 here. He doesn't tell us who he was or who he hoped to be. He tells us who he is. And Jesus identifies himself, he starts off to this church as being holy and true. Holy and true. Now, now these are not tendencies that Jesus has. These, this is who he is. He is holy and he is true. And we need to capture that even before we read this whole thing. That Jesus doesn't say, well, I sometimes am holy and true. No, this is who he is. There is only one who is holy, and there is only one who is true, and that is God. I am. Jehovah. Yahweh. And this is who Jesus is. And so here, once again, he is declaring himself to be the one true God who is holy all the time. Never changes. Jesus cannot not be holy. He cannot not be true. He is always those things. Because that's who God is. And he is God. And Jesus, Jesus is holy in character, in word, in action, and purpose. And as the Holy One, it makes him unique, set apart from everything else and anything else. And anyone else. He, he, he is... He is unique. There is none like him. None like him. No one can be compared to him. If anybody tries, it's like, man, you fall so stinking short. 
And I think that when we turn our eyes on us, we think, you know, that we have become a certain... It's like, dude, don't even go there because every time we, we go this way, we exalt ourselves to a place of God in our own lives. And it's like, come on, let's, like I said earlier, let's just be honest with ourselves. <laughs> Humble yourself. But he is also the one who is true. That is... He is the one who is genuine. He is the original, not a copy. As, as I was looking at that, OG. He is OG. Original God. Original God. That's just the way I think. You're like, heck yeah. He is not a copy. He, he is the authentic God and not a manufactured God. And it's interesting because people even today, you know, about Christians and Christianity, it's like, oh, you guys, you guys believe in this thing? It's like, dude, I'm sorry, at the end here, we're going to win. I've read the end of the book. That's right. and, and I will trust this over anybody that tries to tell me, oh, you're just making up this God, that whatever. It's like, we'll see. There, there, there were hundreds of false gods and goddesses in those days that, that this was written. But only Jesus Christ could rightfully claim to be the true God. And, and he proved it by the resurrection from the dead because nobody else has ever done that. All these other mythical gods that, that, that people, oh yeah, he died, it's like they're myths, they're mythical, and they know that. They're mythical. <laughs> Jesus proved it. It says that he has the key of David. He has the key of David. He, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, which had to do with an incident in that time. And you can go back to read the latter portion of chapter 22 of Isaiah. It had to do with an incident that took place with a guy by the name of Shibna. And, and this guy, he, he was like the chief of staff, basically, to King Hezekiah. And, and he was replaced for his dishonesty to Eliakim, who was a godly man. And, and this is what it says in Isaiah 22, 22. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulders, on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. This is what's being said about Iliakim. After Shibna messed up, that, that it was almost like the, the, the key. I, I'm just picturing a lanyard, you know, it was, it's, it's on a, or a necklace, that it's like, here, let me put the key on you, Iliakim. And that key spoke of authority, it spoke of power. This, this, this man was given the responsibility of the house of David. And so it was placed on his shoulder. And he was the only one that could open the door, and he was the only one that could shut the door. And he was in charge of the house of David in that sense. Of all the treasury, of all the, all, everything that involved the house of David, this man, with that stinking key, came that responsibility and that authority, and with it said, 
It's that power. And so Jesus says, I have the power and the authority to govern all the events throughout history. If I open the door, no one can shut it. And if I shut a door, no one can open it. It's like, yeah, that's my Jesus. He's the one that has absolute power. Now, in, verse, in chapter 1, Jesus does describe himself as having the keys of Hades and death. And, and so you can go like, oh, well, he does describe. Well, no, this is different. In, in that he describes himself as having, having the keys of Hades or hell and death that spoke of the power and the authority over salvation and the victory that he has over hell and death. But this one in particular, what he's describing himself here as having the key to the house of David, or the, the, the key of David, or the house of David, he is speaking about his, his deity. Not just over, over salvation and, and, and over death. He is talking about deity. And I thought, who, whoever said that Jesus had never claimed to be God? Dude, it, it is throughout the New Testament. It is throughout the Word of God that He is who He says He is. He cannot just throw these claims out there because He is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no lie in Him. He, he, he is God in every aspect. He's not saying, I am a truth or I am a way or a light. He is the source, the very essence of, of all that, that is true and all that is life and all that is light. Verse 8, he says, I know your works. Now, now, Jesus has said this to each of the churches, and each time he has said this, or will say it to the next church, each time that he says this, it, it, it is always followed by a comma. I know your works, and then he goes on. But it's interesting because here, to the church in Philly, he, he says... He says the same thing, I know your works, but it is followed with a period. And I just thought that was fascinating. As I'm looking at this, and going, there is no comma here. He's not saying, I know your works, I have set before you. See, I have set, he says, I know your works, period. In other words, he had nothing else to add to what they were doing. I know what you're doing, period. I know where your heart is at, period. I know the motives behind all of that, period. He knew it. I, I, the, the, the Amplified says it like this. I know your record of works and what you are doing. And I am cool with that. <laughs> the Amplified didn't say that last part. <laughs> I thought of that on my own. Um, I did, because it's almost like there was nothing else for Jesus to say after he says, I know your works. Just walked off. He's like, whoa, that's awesome. That's awesome, Jesus. There was nothing else that he said, but. He didn't say that. He said that to the other cats, but he didn't say that to the church of Philly here. He, he, he just said, I know your works. I know everything about it. After the period, he starts a new sentence. He says, see, 
I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Again, I shared with you a little while ago that the city of Philadelphia was known for spreading Greek culture and Greek language. And, and, and again, it, it spread because they had this, you know, the, the, it, you know, it was like they were known as the gateway to the east, a door, if you will. They had this open door and this field that was prime. And so they were going to go for it. And as I was thinking about that, thinking here they are for their Greek culture missionaries. They are being sent out to go spread this missionary or this Greek culture, and they were faithful to go do it. Why? Because they had the gateway to the east. Now, it would have been like, ah, the gate's closed again. Ah, I guess we can't go. No, it was a wide open gate. It was wide open for them, and guess what? They were going to go through it. And so Jesus, again, knowing the whole history about the city of Philly back then, tells them, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. If I've opened it, no one can shut it. I think, yeah, right on. He had set an open door for the church of Philly to go out and take ground. I've set an open door for you to go and spread the gospel. I have set before you an open door to go share the good news of who I am to everybody in that whole region. In in the New Testament, an open door always speaks of opportunity for ministry. And here we see Jesus giving this church an open door. The opportunity for them to minister was wide. It was plush. It was ready. He says, I've I've opened it and no one can shut it. Now, even though they, they had to have opposition, they had to have had opposition, there was really nothing that could stop them. Even through the opposition that they had, Because of how we read this whole thing, you know, he's saying, I have an open door, go and minister. And and, and he he has told them, I know about these these guys, uh, you know, of the synagogue of Satan. I know, you know, you have kept my word to, to persevere, all these things. So you knew that they had to have opposition, but he says, there's an open door and there's no one that can stop you. No matter what happens, nothing can stop you. And we see that even Paul, the apostle Paul, he prayed and he asked, for open doors in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, a great and effective door has been opened for me. And I, I just got the first part, but he says, but there's much affliction attached to that. But he says, there's a, there's a great and effective door open for me. In 2 Corinthians 2, 12, he says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened for me by the Lord. And to the Colossians, he wrote in, in Colossians 4, 3, to, uh, 3 and 4, he says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am 
also in chains, for which also I am in chains, that I may that it may that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He had prayed for, he had asked for open doors. And so when Paul seen the open door, he drove a Mack truck through it. <laughs> he did not hold back. Now, I understand that there was times when he was traveling that he wanted to go to, to, to a certain place and there was a door that was closed. And then he seen a vision of a man to go to Macedonia and he seen that open door, but that door was closed, that door was closed, but he, that door was open. And so he didn't go like, well, I really want to go this way, God. I'm going to go push until you open that door. Now, people will say, well, you got to go push. And I understand what they're probably saying. But at the same time, it's like, open door, look for the open. Or, or a closed door, look for the open one. Because if there's those doors that are closed somewhat, then there's an open door that God will have for, for us. Now, I know that sometimes it just feels like, well, all the doors are closed. It's like, really? On you? <laughs> I wonder why. But it's like, no, I can almost guarantee you there's probably an open door that God has for you. If you feel like all these other ones are closed, it's like, I don't think he's just going to close all the doors and say, no, you just stay right there. Don't be effective for me. <laughs> don't do anything. Or maybe sometimes he might ask us to do that because we're knuckleheads. But, but for the most part, there will always be an open door. And Jesus says, I have set an open door before the church of Philly. I have set one open. But they were to see it and then act on it. See, they were to see it or look out for it and then act on it. There's the open door, let's go through it. I mean, what good is an open door if you don't go through it, right? You got to do it. And I think all too often we pray for open doors, but we don't set we, we, we don't set our hearts to go through it. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like, Lord, just use me, open door, blah, blah. And then we see it's like, oh, that's not the door I wanted. Lord, please just open a door for me, Lord. Oh, my gosh. I'm just like, he's going, there's an open door. It's like, that's not the door I was thinking about, Lord. Let me pray again. Because I could, I, I could guarantee you God has set an open door before us in so many different areas. And we either don't see it or don't want to see it. And if we do, we don't want to act on it. Now, even though there was tons of idolatry going on in the city of Philadelphia, this little Athens, as it was known, they, all the idolatry, everything that was going on around them, they could not shut that door that was set before them. They couldn't do it. Why? Because Jesus had set the open door. I often think that we think that Satan has the power to shut a door. God has opened the door, and we think that, well, I know God has shut, opened it, but Satan has shut it. It's like, no, you didn't read this right. If he opens the door, no one can shut it. No one. And, and we have the misconception that, that Satan can do that, and that's simply not true because he does not have the power, nor does he have the authority. In other words, he is not a, a key holder. He does not hold any keys. He doesn't even have the keys for hell and death. He doesn't carry those keys. 
You know, when we think of key holders, you know, I was thinking, it's like, how many people in our church have key holders? Probably everybody. No, no it's, it's like, oh, it's a sign. Oh, you can get in and out. It's like, yeah, come with me. I know the code. You know, it, it's something that's like, I got keys. You know, and that would be funny if I didn't have keys and being the pastor of the church. It's like, what? I can't even have keys? It's like, but again, in your job or, or, or wherever you're at, if you have the keys, people are like, key holder. Uh, they all know the key holder. Satan, in no way, I want to say in no way in hell, but I won't say that. <laughs> Satan, in no way, has any keys. Any keys. And yet, we think in our little pea brain up here that he can shut doors. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Satan can hinder. <laughs> he can throw obstacles in the way. And, that, and we're so... Okay, I'm so dense. Okay, no, we are. Come on. I'll be honest with you guys. We see the obstacle and we think, can't go through it. There's an obstacle. You know what an obstacle is? It's something that impedes your, your, your moving forward. It only impedes. It doesn't stop. An obstacle can be jumped over, go, gone around, moved out of the way. That's what Satan does do. But see, we think, oh, must be an open, a, a closed door. And God's going, no, I've opened the door for you. I've opened this door. Or, or Satan, or God has shut the door, but Satan paints this thing that looks like a tunnel. It just reminds me of like, I don't know, Wile E. Coyote. But he makes it seem like oh, it's an open door. And we keep on. <laughs> and it's like, come on, it's a closed door. You know that. God has told you it's a closed door. It's like, yeah, but it looks like it opened. But you keep on running into it because I've closed it, Jesus said. My word has shown you that it is closed. But you keep on pushing on it or running, thinking that you're going to one day go through it. Even though what, the. the, the the roadrunner ends up running through. I don't know how that happens, but you know what I'm saying. It's for real, in real life, it doesn't happen that way. I'm going way off here. <laughs> I th we, we, we do this to ourselves, guys. And then we convince ourselves that what God has shut, it's open, and what God has opened is shut. We convince ourselves, and it's wrong. If Jesus says he has opened the door, he has opened the door. And no one can shut it. More often than not, it's because usually we have not set our eyes to see what God is opening and what God is sh shutting. We blind our eyes to it because we don't like it sometimes. We pray for the open door. We pray for his direction. We pray for his guidance. And he shows us that and we're going, come again, Lord. Come again. Come on. Now, I do understand that there is always timing in all of this as well. But if you're not spending time with the key holder, <laughs> our timing will be off. I'm not saying that you will always get it right, but if you're spending time in his word with the key holder, you will see those open doors. I could guarantee you that. 
You will not convince yourself otherwise if you're spending time, if you're being honest with what the Word of God is telling you, if you're spending time with the key holder. He says you have little strength or little power. And he, he, is, not he is not implying weakness here. He is not putting them down. So, somehow this church of Philadelphia had discovered to some degree the power of the Holy Spirit. But it says that they had little power. They were relying on the power. And, and it's almost like they didn't quite know or understand just how much power God was willing to give them. I think they were satisfied with the little power. And God's going, there's so much more. There's way more than you're even like applying for here. <laughs> but somehow they, they knew and, and they had enough strength to, to, to where they had not, or they, had, they were able to keep his word. They, they knew that. They were able to keep the word, his word, and they weren't denying his name. And those were the keys right here. The, 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 this was the key. They were keeping his word and not denying. And, and, and to me, that is vital. Because it wasn't like they hadn't been suffering persecution because they had to have. They had to have. There, there's a reason why he commends them for keeping his, his word and for not denying his name. They had little strength. They understood the Holy Spirit to a certain extent. They had little strength that, that when, when they were in that strength, they were able to stand. They were able to to not falter. It, it, it went a long way for them, that little strength. More than they could ever imagine because as I was looking at this, I'm sure the people in Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, I'm sure they were tripping when they got this letter going, you think they were that good? And it was because they were keeping his word and not denying his name. I'm sure they were only doing what they knew they were supposed to be doing. The simple things, the practical things, the humble things. They, they, I, I, as I was looking at that, I just believe they were just doing the simple, practical, humble things, and all of a sudden God says this thing about them, I know your works, period. It's like, well, we're not that big, Lord. We're not that strong. He says, but you're keeping my word. And you're not denying my name. Isn't that a trip? That's all they were doing. And he commends them for that. He says, you have little strength, but you're able to do that. If and when we tap into that strength or that power of the Holy Spirit, when we begin to grow in that even, just a little bit. Jesus can do a lot with a little. <laughs> he really can. If you think, I have no strength, it's like, good, I could do a lot with that. Jesus can do a lot with the simple things, with the practical things. He can do a lot with, with the humble things that we do for him. Because that's where it starts, guys. He never asked us to do the, the great, amazing, epic, 
whiz-bang things. He just said, do the humble, do the practical, do the simple things, and you will see me work in a powerful way. If you have little strength to offer him, that's all you've got. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say, I only have this, Lord. If you're open to it, he will use you in such a powerful way. And, and be careful, because he won't hold back if you ask for more. He'll give you more. He will do the rest if you are just doing the simple, keeping his word and not denying his name. And I know I need to get, move on here, um, but... He said, I, I, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan to come and bow down before you and all that stuff. And we've, we, we've kind of covered those who, who were of the synagogue of Satan uh, when we looked at the church of Smyrna. And, and more than likely, there were these Jews that were just persecuting these Christians because they were not compromising, basically. They were not getting into the sexual immorality, and they were coming against them. They, they, they were of the synagogue of Satan in that sense. Um, it's quite possible because, again, when Jesus spoke to the religious leaders in John chapter 8, he says, if your father was really Abraham, you would not be coming against me, but you're of the father, your father, the devil. And so it, it, it was like a, a figure of speech that he was telling these guys, you guys are the synagogue of Satan. It could also be that there were some Christians that were, didn't want to, to be persecuted or destitute, and so they were uh, signing up or going back to Judaism and saying they were Jews and were really not. He says, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Now, whoever these guys were that Jesus was talking about, uh, Jesus told the church of Philly here, that he would make those who say they are Jews and are not to come and bow down. And, and I don't think that he was saying, hey, they're going to come and worship you, buddy. It's like, no, I, I, I truly believe it was more of in a humbling sense. They will be humbled. Because this verbiage here, what he's talking about here, speaks of vindication for the Christian eventually. But, but, but it's not just for us. More importantly, it's for who we stand for, Jesus. There will be vindication here. And so... Again, um, in, in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, he says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is uh, Lord to the glory of the Father. And so, you know, he's saying... It, don't worry, I will be vindicated eventually. You will be vindicated. Verses 10 and 11, where, where he says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from that hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He is talking about the great tribulation here. He is talking about that seven-year period, whatever you want to call it, the, 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 the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. He's talking about this time of tribulation, of testing, and, and notice that he promises to keep them from the hour or that time period. He, he, he did not say, I will keep you in that hour or time period. He's not saying, I will protect you in that, even though if we're going to go through it, he would do that. But he's saying, I will protect you from that. 
I, I will take you out of that. I will protect you. You are not going to be affected because, because you have kept this command. This hour of trial or this great tribulation will be upon the whole world. He is talking about those and testing those who dwell on the earth. And these earth dwellers are mentioned many times, and we will make reference to them every time we go through the book of Revelation. Um, they are earth dwellers because they did not keep his word and they denied his name. So because of that, they would not repent and they stayed on the earth through this time period. And that's what he's getting to. Because there's a big difference between earth dwellers and those who do not repent or will not repent and those who have repented and those who dwell already in the heavenly places, as, as Ephesians 1 tells us. Those whose citizenship is in heaven, as Philippians tells us. And those who are not of this world, as Jesus said in John chapter 17. As you can tell, I'm running out of time. And I need to talk faster. And I really wanted to read 1 Thessalonians, the, the end of 4 and the first part of 5. But I'm not. And so your homework today is read... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 18 to, or, or verses 13, and chapter 4 all the way to 11 in verse 5, or, or in chapter 5. And notice the we's, every time you see we and they, okay? Just so you can make the distinction between those who are caught up in the rapture and those who go through the great tribulation. Bam, let's move on. He said, behold, I am coming quickly. Again, here's an additional promise that Jesus has promised that I am coming quickly. And this is a concept uh, that is repeated often in the, the book of Revelation. And the thought here is not that he's coming like right now, but he's coming suddenly, suddenly. He, he's coming quickly in that sense. And so he is exhorting them in light of his coming to hold fast or hold on to what they have. Verses 13, uh, 12 and 13 he says, he who overcomes, I will. You can read the rest of that. He says, Jesus again giving us more promises to those who overcome, who hang on. And all these promises in verse 12 have to do with eternity in the future. But I love the fact that Jesus says, I will. I will, not I might. <laughs> I will. I will do this. He says that, uh, how many times? One, two, three times. I will do these things. He will here and in heaven because he is holy and true. If he says, I will, he will do it because he is true. He will come through because he is holy in that sense. And I love the fact that Jesus mentions my God four times in this one verse. And so apparently, just from my reading this, we are going to have some kind of tattoos when we get there. I know some of you guys are freaking out. Some of you guys are going, I ain't got no more space on my body. Because Jesus is saying, I will write. Again, it's like it's not going to be like something that comes off. I will write the name of my Father on you. Wow. Some of you guys are going, got it already, Slayer. I will write the name of my father's city. Now, New Jerusalem is a lot. It might hurt, you know, to write New Jerusalem. 
So you might just get the zip code maybe right here on your neck. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know I'm making fun of this, but for those of you guys who hate tattoos, it's almost like, too bad. You're going to get something written on you in heaven. And because Jesus says at the end there, and I will write my name, my new name. And I'm like, yeah, get, I'll take whatever you got, God. I don't care what, whatever you want to do to me while I'm there, as long as I'm there. You know? It's like, I don't care. Get my tatted up. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> the Church of Philadelphia, as we close here, fits into church history in what was called or what is what was called the the great awakening period from from the early 1800s to the early 1900s it was a time of revival that was happening throughout the world but mainly in in Europe England and all that time in America it was an amazing time there was several revivals several great awakenings the second the third and the fourth great awakening, but it was a time of, of revival nonetheless. And, and, and so when we see the church of Revelation, it was the church of revival. Why? Because it was an open door. And in that time period of the great awakenings, man, the preachers that came out of there, the names, man, we could stay here for hours just writing, just talking about each one of those individuals that were, that were just traveling the world, basically, because there was such an open door. There was such an open door. Guys, we have an open door. I, I believe the door is still open for the church. I truly believe that. I know, I know just in our little community here, the doors are so wide open for us. I don't know what the other churches are doing. And I'll say it this way, I don't care what they're doing. I know what we're doing here. I know the open doors that God is opening here. And, and, and guys, it's no, it, it, what good is that open door if we don't go through it? If I don't take you through it and just kind of maintain, it's like, oh, I know there's an open door, but let's just play it safe. It's like, no, we're not going to play it safe. I'm sorry, guys. We're moving forward and, and get on board because there's open doors that are, are happening all around us. And if we don't get involved, I was telling the ushers this morning, in tears. You know, I know it's hard for you guys to believe that, but, but in <laughs> tears, I am just so excited to hear what God is doing in your life. Not just in my life. I mean, God's like blowing me away all the time. I'm so overwhelmed by all those things. But when you start telling me the open doors that God has for your life, I'm like, ah! I get excited. <laughs> I truly do. And so, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's you and I, peeps. That's you and I. Okay? So, if the worship, time is, the worship team is anywhere around here, you guys, didn't, you guys missed it last week. Because they were like on time for the last song. Second service, they were nowhere to be found. I had to sing a cappella. <laughs> I know they didn't want me to say that, but I said it. And that, you know what? It sounded pretty good. Just to let you know. You, you didn't have to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true that. True that. Anyway, some guy said, you should be on the worship team. I said, you must be hard of hearing. But be that as it may, let us stand and let's pray as we sing this last song. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. We are so excited, Lord God, for this portion of scripture, Lord. I do want to identify with this church only because, again, Lord God, I know what you have done in our, in our lives. I know that this church, Lord God, uh, has kept your word and we have not denied your name, Lord God. I know we're not perfect. I understand that, Lord Jesus. But as a church, Lord God, as the pastor of this church, Lord, I just want to lead my people, your people, Lord God, 
and doing the things that are, that are practical, that are humble, that are simple, Lord God. And I know just doing that, we're going to be able to keep your word and not deny your name, Lord Jesus. We are so excited, Lord, for the work that you're doing in and around us, Lord. Father, I pray for open doors for each and every one of our peeps here, Lord God, that you would truly show them and give them eyes to see it and then act on it, Lord God, that we would hear the praises and, and the testimonies of how you're doing um, this amazing work in the individuals. And so we bless you and thank you, Lord God. We uh, give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.